2 Samuel chapter number 12, 2 Samuel chapter number 12, and it's good to once again see each and every one of you here this morning, and we've gotten to a, a point where now we want to continue in our worship through the study of God's Word. We've taken time to sing and worship and praise Him that way. We've taken time to worship through giving, and now we want to take time to worship uh, through studying His Word. 2 Samuel chapter number 12, we're going to continue our series on what God has to say about relationships. And we've, we've learned about what it means to be a good friend. We've learned about the importance of relationships. We've even learned about the power that friends have in our lives. And, and this morning, we want to talk about confronting a friend. Pastor Tony Evans one time was sharing a story of uh, when he was driving and he turned onto a street and did not realize that he was going completely the wrong way. And uh, as he started getting closer to the, uh, the traffic that was uh, there on the street, they were all headed at him. And uh, he said that as he was going down, cars began to honk and lights began to flash at him. And, and, uh, and at first he was like, what in the world is wrong with these people? And until he realized that the problem wasn't the people that were on the road, the problem was him. He was on the road going the wrong way. Everyone else was going the right way. And, and he was saying, I, I imagine that they were getting my attention for two reasons. He said, one, because of the damage that I could do to myself, right, going the wrong way. I could crash into someone. And they said the damage that I might do to someone else going the wrong way on the road. I get myself hurt and I could hurt someone else just by simply going the wrong way. He said, as they were beeping and honking and flashing their lights, what they were trying to get me to do was turn around and start going the right way. I don't know if you've ever experienced that as a driver. I've, I've done that, not on the highway, thank, thank goodness, but turned on the wrong way. You know, if, you, if you're in downtown McAllen, sometimes there are one-way streets that you didn't know were a runway, and uh, you turn on them, you know, right there near the, the main street, and you, you figure out that, oh, I'm going the wrong way. I've had that happen to me, and so... When I heard uh, Pastor Tony talking about that, I thought, oh, I've had that happen to me as well. You just kind of come onto that oncoming traffic, and it's, it's a scary moment. But you're thankful that, one, nothing happened, right? Serious damage happened, and you're thankful that someone told you that you're going the wrong way. Now, let me just say that if you have a friend, there will come a point where they might go the wrong way, right? Now, I know this to be true because all of us, being that we're not perfect, on the road of life, we're going to take a wrong turn. On the road of life, we're, we're going to be going in the wrong direction. And I hope that you have a friend or are a friend that when you see someone going the wrong direction, you don't simply say, well, that's his problem. I hope we can understand that if someone keeps going in the wrong direction, not only are they going to harm themselves, they're going to harm others around them. And that's why it's so important to confront a friend that's going in the wrong direction. Now, when you get to 2 Samuel chapter number 12, King David, who is the king of Israel at that time, is going in a wrong direction. There's a prophet there by the name of Nathan, and the prophet Nathan is called by God and told by God, you've got to confront the king, King David. Now, the prophet Nathan and King David 
are actually friends. In fact, one of David's sons is named after Nathan. Now, you don't name a son after a friend if you're not close to that friend, if it's not someone special in your life. And and so clearly the prophet, though he is a prophet of God, though he is called to declare uh, the truth of God to others, he's, he's also told you've got to confront your, your friend when he's living wrong and doing wrong. If you don't know the story of King David up to this point, uh, David had just become king and uh, he was doing a lot of right things for years. For years he was following what God had led him to do and began to conquer some kingdoms and begin to to really get more and more power as the king and as the country of Israel was was kind of growing and and conquering. Bible says that it came a day where kings go out to war, but King David didn't go. King David stayed at home at a time when he should be out in the battlefield. And while he's at home, he's on his rooftop and he begins to look around and he sees from his rooftop another rooftop of a woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. And David in that moment begins to lust after her and begins to call after her. And on that day, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. But it wasn't just a one-night fling with no consequences. In fact, David is told shortly after that she's pregnant with his baby. Now, he is the wife of one of his Uh, She is the wife of one of his soldiers, a loyal soldier, a guy by the name of Uriah. He's a Hittite, which means he wasn't uh, uh, Jewish. He wasn't Israeli. He, He was from another kingdom and had joined Israel. He was someone that was very loyal to the king. And, and David thinking, well, I got to try to cover up what I've done. He says, send me from the battlefield, Uriah. When Uriah gets there, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell Uriah, go home. Enjoy some time off. Spend some time with your wife. Surely they'll have a night together. And when the baby's born, they're going to think it's his. And all of this is going to go away and it's going to be okay. Well, you know what Uriah does? He stays at the palace. He doesn't go home. And King David starts getting on to him. Uriah, what what are you doing here? You need to go home. I I brought you so you can have some days of relaxation. He said, King, I'm sorry. We're, We're at a time of war. He said, all all my brothers in arms are at war on the battlefield. I I can't take time just here at home relaxing when I know they're out there. The least I can do is sleep at the gate of the palace and make sure that you're protected, king. We find the loyalty of Uriah, the nobility of Uriah in that. And so David, of course, realizing that his plan's not quite working the way he thought it was, decides I got to change plans. I got to adapt and... And he writes a letter to Joab, the general. And of course, he seals the letter so Uriah can't read it. And he gives it to Uriah and he says, go give this to Joab, the general. When the general opens up the letter, it says, send Uriah to the front lines. He says, and when they start attacking, when the enemy starts attacking really bad, I want you to drop back and let him die. Don't protect him. Don't give him any reinforcements. Just let him die. And Uriah, without knowing, takes that note to the general. It's his own death sentence. Gives it to him, trusting that David has his best interest in mind and and literally gives a death sentence to the general. And Uriah dies. And now it's been about eight months later. And of course, 
after Uriah died, David still has to try to cover this up somehow. And so he takes Bathsheba as his wife. And he says, you know, hey, when the baby's born, well, she's my wife. That's my baby. And no harm, no foul. And no one's going to know the difference. But when you get to the end of chapter 11 and verse number 27, it says, but what David did displeased the Lord. It wasn't right. His attempt to cover sin wasn't working and didn't work. And now God sends this prophet, the prophet Nathan, to confront David. And I want you to notice, that's where we pick up the story in verse number one. And it said, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up. And they grew up together with him and with his children it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he hath had no pity. And, David sa and Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives and into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have moreover had given unto thee such and such things. And notice the beginning of verse 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Here's Nathan. David's friend knows everything that David did. What David thought he had gotten away scot-free from. Nathan says, I know. God calls him to confront him. To say, David, you're going down the wrong road. You're going in a wrong direction. You need to turn around. How do you do that as a friend? How exactly do you confront someone that you love so much and let them know that they're going in a wrong direction? To turn around before they harm themselves or harm someone else? Well, this morning as we study this passage, I just want to point out three principles that Nathan used when confronting his friend David. Three principles that I think we need to apply in our lives because there's going to come a time, for sure, if you have a friend there's going to come a time where you're going to have to confront your friend because none of us are perfect. That means we're not always going to make the right decision. There's going to be a time where we're going to go on the wrong path. And whether that friend is a husband or a wife or whether that friend is a, a cousin or a, a person from work or a person from church, how do you do that? As a friend, how do you confront someone who's going in the wrong direction? Well, let me just say, first of all, if you're going to confront someone that's going in the wrong direction, first of all, start by spending time with God about it. First thing that must be done is spend time with God. Never confront a friend without doing this first. Never talk to a friend about the wrong way that he is going without first taking some time to talk about 
that situation with God. God should be the first one you turn to, the first one you talk about it with. See, when we attempt to spend time with a person without spending time with God, let me tell you, the results are always disastrous. It's never a good outcome. It's never a good result at the end. It's always so important to spend time with God because the potential is you might lose a friend. When you confront a friend and you've not spent time with God, listen, there's a good chance you're going to lose that friend. Spending time with God first is so important so that God can give you wisdom on what to say and how to say it. I I want you to notice there in your notes that when you spend time with God, you want to ask God for His perspective on the matter. Ask God for His perspective. You see, because God knows all things and is perfect and on wisdom. He can give us the right perspective of what's going on. Sometimes we want to confront a friend, and if you've not spent time with God you might realize you're the one that's going in the wrong way. You might realize that the the cars that are honking the horn isn't for everybody else, it's for you. That's why spending time with God first is so important because then you can ask God, God, give me a good and right perspective on this. I see the decisions they're making and I just want to make sure that the perspective I have is the right perspective. It's your perspective. That they are going in the wrong direction. I want to make sure that that's the truth of what is going on. You see, confrontation should not be based on letting them hear my side and why I disagree with them from my own point of view. Just to prove that I'm right. That's never and it should never be your motive or your, your uh, reason for confronting someone. Now, sometimes we act that way. Sometimes we see someone going in a direction and we just don't like the direction because that's not what we would do. I just don't think you're doing it right. And I just don't think you're going and and making what I think would be the best move here. And sometimes you want to confront somebody just for that reason. And that's a wrong reason to confront someone. I've noticed that we all make different decisions. And sometimes God blesses this business decision that was different from this business decision. And it's okay. Or sometimes two different decisions are made and God blesses both of them. (laughs) And so the... I guess the key to this isn't saying, well, what's my perspective on it, but rather what's God's perspective on this? God, what are you seeing? Am I seeing what you are seeing? Now, if you, if you notice right off the bat from verse number one, the first word says, and the Lord sent Nathan. <laughs> that means that Nathan had taken time with God. Nathan had taken time to get the right perspective before going and talking with David. Nathan had spent time in prayer to make sure, listen, uh, what I'm about to do is not something that's just going to be, you know, not a big thing. Nathan took time to get God's perspective. In Luke chapter 6, we kind of see this as well as... as, uh, As Jesus teaches, and it says, And it came to pass in those days that when he went out into the mountain to pray, this is Jesus, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Jesus, before he made a big decision, a major decision, or, or anything with people, he took time to pray. In fact, he prayed all night. 
I'm not saying you got to pray all night before you confront someone, but I hope you take time to pray and ask God, God, what's your perspective on this? But not only should you ask for God's perspective, but you need to also ask for God's power as you talk to God. Ask for God's power to do the right thing because having to confront a friend is never easy. If you've had to do it in your life, you know what I'm talking about. Never easy to confront a friend. Never easy to tell someone, I think the decision you're making is a wrong decision. I think it's a big mistake. Listen, no one wants to be the person that is despised for doing that, right? We, we, listen, even the guys, I don't care what the world thinks, cares what the world thinks. That's why he's saying that, right? I, I love this Facebook post. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm going to post it. Da, 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 da. Well, if you don't care, then don't post it. It's almost a contradiction. I don't, I don't care, but I'm posting yet. Nathan is there, and he spent time with God, asking God, give me a right perspective, but then give me power to do the right thing. Give me power to to follow through on this. You see, the prophet Nathan was not sent to King David simply to tell him how bad he has been and then leave to never return. The purpose of this confrontation with David was to restore him. That was the goal. It wasn't just to say, David, you're wrong, see you later. It was to say, David, you're wrong, but, but you can change. God's not done with you. Listen, when we were going through the book of Jonah, I learned this lesson in studying that book, that even when we're done with God, God's not done with us. Jonah was done with God. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not doing that. And God said, well, I'm still not done with you. Even when Jonah was running away from God, God was pursuing him. And the whole point of confrontation with a friend is simply to restore that relationship, to restore them, to get on the right way and on the right path. It's not just to give bad news. There are some people that like confronting others just to kind of tell them, this is who you really are. Oh, okay. Why did you tell them that for? Biblical confrontation has the idea of restoration. You said, Pastor, where do you get that from? I put it in your notes, Galatians 1, uh, Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The idea is, listen, we, we, we want to restore you. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But it takes power to do this. Once again, anyone that's done it knows it's no picnic. It's not fun or easy. It's something that if you're going to do, first of all, spend some time with God. Get God's perspective on it and give God's power with it. Because let me tell you, if we're lacking God's perspective and God's power, then there is no restoration. We're no better than the person that's just calling out people to call out people, to just zing people. 
In our society, we see that a lot, especially on social media platforms because, you know, it's kind of faceless. Kind of just make up some little name, you know, like Iron Man 94. But biblical uh, confrontation has restoration with it. And to restore, you're going to have to have spent some time with God. Let me give you a second principle when confronting someone that you love, a friend that's going the wrong way. Secondly, check your attitude. You see, sometimes our attitude towards confronting friends is selfish. We want, we want them to change something in their life so that they can please us, to be, to be more like we want them to be, so you can fit in with our group, so you can, you know, be a part of us. Sometimes confrontation is really more about me manipulating people than really giving someone God's perspective, than me acting in God's power. That's why you have to check your attitude. And listen, be sure that it is in humility that you're doing this. When you're confronting a friend, confront them in humility. Now, let me just say, biblical humility is understanding who we are before God and in His presence. That, that's what biblical humility is. Uh, it, it's, it's understanding who we are before God. It's not something that says, look how much better I am than others. It's not judgment or condemnation. It's not that at all. <laughs> you see, when, when, we, when, we, when we check our attitudes and we have humility, then the confrontation is really, really about gaining a friend, not condemning a friend. It's not about showing them how good I am, but just how good God is. And that's why we, we have to approach it in humility. In humility. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Paul used to say, by the grace of God, I am who I am. In other words, if it wasn't for God in my life, listen, the direction you're going and the wrong direction that I'm confronting you about, listen, I could be there too. I'm not telling you because I think I'm better than you, because I think my marriage is better than you, because I think my job's better than you, because I think I'm smarter than you. That's not why. I, I'm confronting you because, listen, I know where that road goes. Sometimes it's because we've lived it before. Other times it's because we say, I know what God's perspective on this is. And the way you're going, it ain't going to help. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help your marriage. It's not going to help your kids. And be humbled and saying, listen, I could be there too. Checking your attitude not only to make sure that it is a humble attitude, but also a loving attitude. <laughs> you see, love should be the basis of all of our actions. It should be why we serve, how we serve others, how we view others, how we respond to others. It should be what describes us inside and out. Jesus said, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Amen. Simple as that. Do you know that when you confront someone, as you're checking your attitude, you can do it in a way that's loving to them? You see, there's wrong ways to confront people and there's right ways to confront people. Today, we're talking about the right ways to confront people. It's by first spending time with God about it, 
Say, God, give me perspective, give me your power. And then checking my attitude and saying, God, am I doing this out of pride or am I doing this in humility? Am I doing this because I think I'm so good or is it because this could be a help to them? I just don't want them running into someone else on the road. It could kill them. Or they could kill someone else. I want to lovingly help them. See, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says, A friend loveth at all times. At all times. Not just in the good times. A friend is there. I love the quote. I think it's, A friend is someone who walks in when the world walks out. A friend is there. It's going to love you even when you've made mistakes. Even when you're driving in the wrong direction. It's the friend that says, Hung on, hey, dude, turn around. You're going to hurt yourself. Checking our attitude. And then the last thing is going to your friend. And the last step is key, going to your friend. Go. You see, we can spend time with God in prayer about the situation. We can even check our attitudes and have the right attitudes and motives to confront our friend, but... If we never go to our friend, then nothing really happened. You see, we must go to our friend. We must talk with them. We must confront them. It's not just saying, because that's when it turns into gossip, by the way. When we we have this perspective and we see that they're going in the wrong direction, and we start telling everybody else about it, but we never tell that friend. That's gossip. In the King James Version, they call it a tailbearer. That's a really old English word that no one uses anymore. Gossiper. That's what it is. Sometimes you might have that right perspective, but you just have the wrong attitude because you never go. And even when you have the right attitude, the right attitude will lead you to go to that friend. It won't lead you to just stay quiet And say, well, that's their problem. Just like when you see the person driving on the wrong side of the road, you're honking at them. You don't just kind of avoid them and go, oh, well, good luck, man. There's an 18-wheeler coming. No. So when you go to your friend, what do you do? Tell them honestly and truthfully. (laughs) See, when confronting a friend, honesty is paramount. Now, can I say that being honest doesn't mean being rude and arrogant and not tactful? People take this approach, right? They'll confront a friend about something. And they say, I'm just being honest. No, you're being rude. right? Or you're being arrogant in what you're saying. That's why we check our attitudes. Make sure that we're in humility and love confronting someone. Because if not, that's what it turns into. That's why there is some honesty and truthfulness that needs to be given, but it doesn't need to be done in anger or in self-righteousness or in pride. And listen, this is really common in church. If you've been in church any length of time, you know what I'm talking about, right? We give it some spiritual talk. Just pray for them because they're way off. I mean, I don't even know how... Why God even keeps them alive? They're so, I mean, come on. Way to spiritualize it. It's nice. Way to not be tactful. 
to be arrogant and prideful as if you deserve to be alive because you're so good. You know, there, there's a way to be honest with people. I, listen, I, I, I read this story and, and I think about Nathan. Put myself in his shoes. How hard that must have been. I've seen depictions of artists and sometimes they'll have this scene and they'll have Nathan kind of pointing his finger. Thou art the man. You know, I really don't think Nathan did that. I really don't. I think at the end of telling the story that God put on his heart to tell him so that David would judge right because he judged right. He said, man, that rich guy that, that killed the one lamb of the other guy, even though he had like a hundred of them, that guy, he deserves to pay fourfold for what he did. He was absolutely wrong. He judged right when he did that. And by the way, isn't it always easier to judge everyone else's sin other than ours? Everybody else's situation, we can, you know, we can correct and help. Our situation, that, that's another story. It's true. We're always much more objective with others, much more subjective in ours. That's just a reality of the world we live in. But let me tell you, as Nathan, through God's power and God's perspective, tells the story, I believe he was doing it in humility and love, and he gets to the end of the story. He says, David, it's you. Oh, that guy, he deserves this. Dave, it's you. That's what you did. You know when you took Bathsheba? When you killed Uriah? Maybe it wasn't your sword in your hand, but you gave him the death sentence. It was your plan to bring him back and then to take him and send him and kill him. David, that was you. David, you're not the poor, one, poor man with the one sheep that got victimized here. You're the one that abused your power. It was you. I believe he told him honestly and truthfully. You see, honesty and truthfulness are powerful when coupled with humility and love. It doesn't require more than that. You don't have to say, it was you. You don't. Sometimes a friend that's going down the wrong road, sometimes he just needs an arm to come around him. They're kind of walking this direction. They just need a hand to come around them and go, hey, 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 let's go this way. You're going to find your, you have more peace if you walk this way. This way, it seems like you're just always running into trouble and you go later in life and you run into more trouble and you go later and you move here and there's more trouble and you move there and there's more trouble and you change jobs and there's more trouble. And you know what? You think that everybody in the world's against you when really what you need to understand is you're just going the wrong direction. Just, you know, sometimes just a, a hand says, that's you, man. But it's okay. God loves you. God is good. God's amazing. God will forgive you. God, God will get you back on the right path. If you want to know how David reacted to that news, you can continue reading the chapter, and you can read Psalm chapter 51. You can read Psalm chapter 32, and it tells you, as David in his own words writes, what happened? He's, he says in Psalm chapter 32, as long as I kept that to myself, he said, my bones ached within me. 
Nothing was going right. Everything hurt. But man, when I changed direction, it was like I received new life and I had freedom. <laughs> it was amazing. I'm sure David never forget, forgot Nathan, a friend that confronted him the right way, who gave him the truth, but in humility and love. Kind of like what Jesus did. John 1.14 says in the word, that's Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it says in John chapter 7, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? Speaking of Jesus, and the officers said this of Jesus, Never man spake like this man. In truth and humility, in grace and power, with a heavenly divine perspective. Never a man spake like this man. It's amazing when you confront a friend the right way. It's amazing what God can do. Doesn't mean that the consequences of decisions that they made don't reach them. Every decision has consequences. Oh, but the peace, the joy that you can restore, the new life you can give someone, and the pain that you might save them from. By telling them honestly and truthfully the direction they're going. And then when you go with a friend, let me just say you end by praying with them about it. Pray with them. You know, nothing will bring the friendship closer than praying with your friend. It's a bond that is tied with the presence of God. When confronting a friend about the direction they're going... When you pray with them, it ensures that what has taken place is not in the spirit of revenge or arrogancy or pride, but something that's taken place in the spirit of God. Anytime you confront the friend in humility and love, you'll find the spirit of God there. By the way, every endeavor, every worthy endeavor, I should say, ends in prayer. We see it when Paul and Silas were in prison. We see it when Christ was nailed to the cross. Said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see it when Jesus was going to choose his disciples. And we even see it when Jesus was teaching his disciples about confrontation. Matthew chapter 18, after he talks about what you do, about going one-on-one -on -one with that person that offended you and, 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 and taking care of it there. Matthew chapter 18, you get down to verse 19. It says, again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus didn't say this at a prayer meeting or about a prayer meeting. He was talking about being a friend and confronting a friend. So when you go to that friend, you, you tell them honestly, truthfully, in humility and in love, with God's perspective and God's power. And then you pray with them. Say, God, God will help you. God will be with you. God will change you. This morning, 
I'll say it again. There's going to come a time where you're going to confront a friend. Because none of us are perfect, so it's going to happen. You say, what do I do, Pastor, when I see a friend is going in the wrong direction? Number one, spend time with God, talking to God about it. Number two, check your attitude. Make sure you're not doing it because of selfishness or pride or self-righteousness. And then number three, go to your friend. Don't stop with knowing, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I, I see. That's what God's Word teaches. The Bible says, yeah, so he is wrong. Don't stop there. Don't stop with, let me just tell everybody else about it. Don't, go, don't even go there. But go to your friend. Go to your friend. Talk to them honestly, truthfully, and then pray with them. I think you'll find what God can do when you follow that process. That's what Nathan did. That's what Jesus did. And I believe it's what we should do with our friends. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the truth of your word. Oh, being a friend can be so difficult sometimes, Father. Having to confront our friends can be so difficult. But Father, you have made a way in which we can do it in a biblical manner, in a way that honors you and respects the friend and one that can produce fruit that lasts, that can make a right kind of impact and make the right kind of change. Father, I pray that this morning we would be that kind of friend to others. There might be someone that we need to confront this week I pray that we follow these steps and that through your divine wisdom and divine power, we can, we can see a friend restored. Because it's not about calling people out, Father. It's about restoring them. It's not about condemning life. It's about giving new life. And so I pray that you would help us to do that. Empower us, give us your wisdom, and your spirit so that we might do that. Be with us, I pray. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.